we call them the three deadly sins of real estate investing. We've seen people overpay, over leverage, or mismanage. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guests, I want to mention FundNet Flip because FundNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on, uh, or the main two things, are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. Familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Okay, here's a no-brainer. Since you're a real estate entrepreneur, you know that selecting a health insurance plan is a real pain and dealing with the whole process is a pain. That's why I've partnered up with Stride Health, and they make the whole process really easy, and they have a personal concierge service for you to help you out. They've got a fancy algorithm that helps find the right health plan just for you, and on average, they can save you 400 bucks a year, and it only takes 10 minutes. Go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever. That's S-T-R-I-D-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com forward slash best ever. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This show is all about cutting out that fluffy stuff and getting straight to the best real estate investing advice that moves your business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, Richard Portad, Robert Kiyosaki CPA, Tom Wheelwright. He's, uh, he was a very interesting interview. He talked about 1031 exchanges. And as a natural segue, we have with us a best ever guest who is also a CPA. How you doing, Douglas Skipworth? Doing great, Joe. I'm very excited to be here. I appreciate the chance to talk with you and, and share my story with the best ever listeners. Awesome. Well, looking forward to hearing your story and um, a little bit about Douglas before we get into it. As I mentioned, he is a CPA and he started in 2007 in real estate with zero rentals. Now his firm, Crestcore Realty, which is based in Memphis, Tennessee, manages over 2,250 units and hundred get this, hundreds of those units are uh, owned by Douglas. And as a non-real estate related fact, he, <laughs> I asked him before we started airing, you know, what would it be? And he thought about it for a little bit and he's like, well, I'm a button down CPA back office guy. And I thought he's about to talk to me about some rentals or something, but then he, then he just threw me a curveball. He said, who has twice grown his hair, 
longer than his shoulders. So he is a ponytail wearing CPA that I suspect you've never come across that before. He recently cut his hair. So if you're in Memphis and you're wanting to uh, go check out his ponytail, unfortunately, you won't be able to see it. Perhaps he'll grow it out in the future. You know, with that being said, Douglas, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Hey, Joe, that's great. Yes, I'm happy to do that. Uh, But before I you know, kind of get into the real estate side of it. I just kind of want to give a quick overview, a little bit more kind of personal philosophy um, background. So I, I'm kind of of the mindset that life is about growing and about giving. So just getting better, improving personal development, moving forward, being intentional on the growth side, very purpose driven. But then on the flip side of the coin, it's, you know, using using those gifts and abilities to kind of serve others. I saw a wise man said, the secret to living is given. Yes, Tony Robbins. So I saw that motto that you follow too, so that's a great one. So for me, it, it kind of starts, you know, obviously the real estate background starts, you know, when you're little, when you're learning things, when you're growing. And and for me, it was this kind of desire to improve. So I, I take that all the way, you know, through undergrad and then getting out into the the business world and and trying to find my niche, trying to kind of figure out how it can be all that I was kind of created to be and gifted to become. So just constantly pushing to to reach my my potential. That's where I ended up with the CPA and a master's in accounting, uh, just learning about business, being exposed to a lot of business books as I'm reading. And, you know, I got to the point where I was learning, where, where I came across this learning without doing is futile. So, I was like, you know, at some point I got to, I got to do because I got to jump in there and figure this out. So I had gone through, you know, public accounting, a commercial bank background, and again, was pushing to grow and and reach, reach for something. And I came across some books about Warren Buffett, learned all I could about him and value investing and uh, Berkshire Hathaway. And again, I was ready to um, go from learning to doing. And it was about 2006, I really kind of got into the real estate. I guess in 2001, 2002, I got into a real estate technology company on a startup because, again, I wanted to, you know, knew that I wanted to do this business thing, wanted to be an investor. So when I got to 2007, it, was, it clicked with me that rental houses was my game. That's where I was going to be able to start you know, coming to kind of what make the impact that I feel like I was born to make, you know, and kind of feel like, hey, here's my calling. And and, and I just knew it, that, you know, kind of in my gut, in my heart of hearts. And so, but I hadn't done it. So I picked up Forbes magazine, 2000, May 21st, 2007. This is a funny story. And it was about, I think Steve Jobs maybe was on the cover. It was about CEOs and highest paid people in America, CEOs and entertainers. So Steve Jobs, I think he made $150 million that year. He had been, uh, most of it stock options, but Oprah was on the list, Tiger at the time, Shaq at the time. So it was this high powered list of of athletes and entertainers and and CEOs who are making, you know, $100 million a year. And then it had this little, it's probably a 10 page article and it had this little insert on one page and it said, yeah, these CEOs and entertainers are making, making a, a lot of money. But the guys who are who are really crushing it are the hedge fund and private equity guys. And and it had a little picture at the top of Henry Kravitz of KKR, who's like the granddaddy of private equity, and then had uh, Eddie Lampert 
uh, another picture of him, and he's the guy who did Kmart that turned into Sears. He owns uh, Auto Nation and, and AutoZone, and so great investor out of Connecticut. And, but, but sandwiched between the two of them is a picture of John Arnold. And John Arnold at the time was, I think he was 33. He was on that list of the top 10 hedge fund guys. He'd made about, I don't know, $700 million that year. Well, I said, oh my goodness, let me look at this. So I look him up. He's, yeah, he's 33. He's in Houston. He went to work for Enron out of college as an analyst. He's trading oil and gas for them. And in 2001, he's credited with making Enron about three quarters of a billion dollars. So he got an $8 million bonus, as everybody knows, as the best ever listeners know. Enron kind of blew up, went away. John took that $8 million, and five years later, he's a billionaire, youngest billionaire. This is before Zuckerberg and Facebook. So John's the youngest billionaire on the Forbes list. What was so fascinating about this to me is John Arnold and I lived in the same freshman year dorm in college. And I, I, it just I, it blew my mind, Joe. I was just like, hmm. holy cow. What college? Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. So yeah, okay. we were freshmen together, and John was aggressive and smart, but man, everybody everybody at Vanderbilt is, is aggressive and smart. I would not have pegged him to be the billionaire. And so for me, what that was, obviously that's an aspirational story and inspirational too. It was, I said, man, if John Arnold can go out and do this and make a billion dollars, I can buy a rental house. I can, go, <laughs> right. I can buy a $40,000 rental house, put it, get it fixed up, put a renter in there, and collect that rent. So that, to me, was the catalyst to go from this, you know, I'd always heard, you know, learning without doing is futile. Doing without learning is fatal. So I've always appreciated the learning aspect, but at some point you got to do. So that was the catalyst for me to really get out there and do it. Yeah, so let's get into some of the specifics with what you got going on now. So you had zero in 2007. Now you've got hundreds of units. How did you get to that point? Exactly. So two thousand. That, so that's the story. That's the catalyst. So that was May two thousand seven. August two thousand seven. I'm buying my first rental house because that that got me there. So went out, had a little equity in my home because of the you know early two thousand. The, the real estate bubble had created some equity in my home that I was able to borrow against. So got a went out, found a house, bought it for forty five thousand dollars on a line of credit. Put five thousand dollars in it. Put a renter in it. Went back to the bank. I had $50,000 in it. I went out to the bank, got a $50,000 fully amortizing 20-year mortgage and put it, put the property on it. So now I had my line of credit free again. I went out and did that, you know, five doors down on the same, same street, uh, similar situation, and bought another house, did it, put it on a mortgage. Again, not financing more than... The house was worth not financing more than I had in it, just trying to get my cash out so that I could go out and, and do it again. There wasn't a loan-to-value ratio? You were financing 100% of it? Good question. I was financing 100% of my debt or my, my, you know, my, my cash in or my um, investment, but the loan-to-value was, was probably in the 70% range. So it was okay. appraising. But again, so I, that's what I'm saying. I wasn't taking cash out above what I had in it. So I was putting the cash in to okay. get back out so I could go to the next deal. So, so I was able to do that. I had a, I had a friend who, who we jogged. We live in the same neighborhood, and we jogged together and sharing stories. He was an investor. And we said, you know what? Let, why don't we do it? we got to source some deals. Why don't we go find a deal together? 
So we found a deal together, and that seemed to go okay. We then kept buying for ourselves and buying together and, and ended up with the opportunity to manage some houses for some folks. And all of a sudden, we were buying for ourselves, managing for others, which allowed us to hire some people to um, some professional staff to assist us because we were both working full-time W-2 jobs. And we continued to have great opportunities to buy houses in the Memphis market. And what really kind of, and we were borrowing, paying back, Joe, your best ever listeners probably know this because they're, you know, achievers. They're, they're, they're folks who want to learn and do this. So they're probably doing the right thing. But I never knew because I, I was very fortunate and I didn't have to borrow much before I started buying rental houses. But if you borrow money and you pay the bank when the, when the loan is due, you become one of the bank's very best customers. And by, which, which is surprising to me because I, mean, you, I was just doing what I thought I was supposed to do, which is you borrow money and you pay it back. So by doing that, we got a, a stellar reputation with the banks that we were working with. And as they started taking on problem properties in 2008, 9, 10, they were looking for experienced landlords who were looking to acquire properties that they could partner with on these houses that they were taking back. And so that's where the that's where the real opportunity came for us. And we were just, you know, you don't know when opportunity's coming, but you gotta seize it. So we wanted to be prepared and, and we got some great chances to buy, you know, a hundred hundred houses here, fifty houses there, ten houses. So you name it, we were able to do it. And that was able to amass a portfolio by working directly with the banks to to take their troubled loans. All right. So let's take one of those batches, yeah. the hundred houses. The bank comes to you and says what, and then what? How do you go about purchasing those 100 houses? Yeah, so that's that's a great one. That's one of our, our best deals and favorite deals ever. We had, I can't have to go back. We probably had a couple hundred houses that we were owning and managing at the time, and had a good relationship with uh, the banks. And a friend of ours was working on a deal for a borrower, and. He said, hey, I need to, you know, y'all, why, what about y'all look at this deal? This borrower's in trouble. The bank wants out um, or wants rid of this borrower, and we can put this deal together for you. So long story short, they introduce us. We're already dealing with the bank. So the borrower needed out. We needed in. We worked the deal with the bank to, uh, to essentially assume their loan. You know, I think we, you know, I think we, we flat out assumed it. We were managing the properties well, the couple hundred we had, so we just kind of folded these new hundred into the um, the portfolio and just kept on going. So when you assumed the loan, what did you have to do? Was there any, what type of fees or money out of pocket do you have to pay? We, Joe, we rolled everything in the closing costs. And they, yeah, I think they assumed and modified it. So they rolled the closing cost into the loan, but then we just were, you know, amortizing. We had interest only for a year. Um, and then, then I put it on a 15 year amortization. So we're, I think we're in about year number four now. So 11 years from now, we'll be celebrating. We're not celebrating now, but we're working hard at it, managing those properties. So similar situation to the beginning, and, and, and we can talk about this more, but, you know, you've got to put some things in life, the kind of the shoulds versus the musts. And, and for me, and for us, at least at certain periods when we're doing deals, certain things are musts. And for us, a must was we don't have a lot. We didn't start with a lot of cash. And so we had to have two things. We have to have a lot of equity in the deal, but we can't put any money in the deal in, in, in certain scenarios. So we just held to our guns. And so we we're able to do that. 
are those properties cash flowing the 100 and what numbers can you give us just for some context on those that that group of 100 yeah so so for context they they are cash flowing our philosophy or strategy is a little different than some i mean we finance properties for the long term long term being 15 10 12 15 years to eventually have that that excess free cash flow um, to pursue other opportunities so in the in the interim that that as long as the rent covers the principal and interest, the taxes, insurance, maintenance, and management, we are excited. Um, and, and, and that's a must. It's got to do that. We don't pass. We pass on deals that don't where well, we can't make that work. Um, and the, as you know, purchase price, amortization schedule, and the interest rate, those three things affect, you know, how long and how much you can pay. So, again, if those align... On this deal, they align, so we're cash flowing on that deal. Again, anything we get is just put back towards principal, paying that principal interest and all those expenses to get that get those houses paid off as quick as possible. Okay, so your goal is to own the properties free and clear as quick as possible. Any excess money that comes from the cash flow is reinvested back into the properties or put in reserves if you need some reserves with the goal of getting them paid off as quickly as possible, right? I could not have said it better myself. That's why you do what you do. So, yes. So with those homes and with closing, you were able to roll the closing costs in, uh, or the cost into the closing. Yep. What value would you say those properties were at at the time, maybe on a per home basis or in general? And where have they gone now? So, you know, I think the appraisal came back. Three six or four million somewhere in there three point six to four million. So about four to four thirty thirty to forty thousand dollars a house. Per unit. Right. The loan was about two nine. So arguably you have equity in it. Again, from our standpoint, if we can, I've always been of the mindset if I could sell this house in an orderly liquidation for what I owe on the property, I'm okay. You know, if I have to start over at zero, I will start over at zero. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not filing. You know, I'm not, I'm not uh, I, I don't want to be in a property for more than it's worth. Um, so that, that's where we've held to. So anyway, we've paid down on that and the tax assessor take them for what they're worth. I mean, you know, we, we got the county taxes coming up um, in February. The assessors got those properties at seven million bucks. So, you know, whether they're really worth that or not, or whether they're worth the four, whether they've increased in value, all I know is I'm paying my, it, it, none of that matters because, to us, right. like, you're not selling right now. We're not selling. We hope we, our holding period is forever. You know, we don't we don't intend to sell these things. We tend to get them paid for, use the money to continue to grow our business. We're not living off this money. We're not funding a lifestyle. We're we're trying to build something that's going to last and that's going to benefit a lot of people. Um, whether it's our employees, whether it's our residents, whether it's the communities. You know, we can we can talk more about that. But that's what was the reason why the previous owner was having issues if they were at minimum breaking even, but it sounds like they were cash flowing. Oh, Joe, that's, it's a, it's a, it's a sad story. We have been doing this 10 years. My partner has been at this since 2001, so 15 years. And we call them the three deadly sins of real estate investing. We've seen people overpay, over leverage or mismanage. So in this case, um, you know, again, overpay, over leverage or mismanage. And those can go hand in hand or they can all be independent of each other. In this case, they built the houses in the 60s, have been rentals 
owned them free and clear, had another family business that they borrowed against, mm. and it just at, at a wrong time. So it came out to, they didn't overpay for the properties. They over leveraged them because they didn't need to. And then there was a little bit of, of mismanagement that we've been able to come in and correct, but, but not being over leveraged. Um, that was, you know, they used this loan and some other loans and owed a whole lot of money to a whole lot of people. So, so they cross collateralized the loans. And whenever the first one defaulted, this was waiting there to be the collateral for the first loan that was non real estate related. Got it. Okay. When you look at this 100 unit deal, and I know you said there's 50 units and some packages, but was this the largest package that you've picked up at once? At that time, it was. You know, we went back and having done done that and integrated it well several years ago, we were able to talk with another local investor who was getting out. He had 138 units, I believe. And so we worked a deal with him. He was essentially retiring. So we agreed on a price. A local bank who we partner with funded two-thirds of the purchase. And the seller took back you know, a note for the other third. So we've been able to cash flow that over you know, 15 years to, to pay that for that package. What would you say is the way to get into deals like this? I would say you, you just got to know what you want and just constantly have it in the back of your mind looking for it and, and don't compromise. I mean, there's, you know, decide what is something that's nice and then something that you, you know, is a has to have and, you know, just keep looking and finding and searching and asking and networking and growing and they will, you know, you, you look for enough deals and you, you, eventually deals will come looking for you. And, and both of those deals, Joe, no joke, were presented to us. We did not go out looking for either of those. They were presented to us by friends or brokers or people who, who just knew what we were doing and said, hey, this might be an opportunity for you. And then we had, and that happens all the time. And 99% of the time, they're not opportunities because we can't, can't make <laughs> it work. So, but, right. but every now and then it, it's an opportunity. So how are you able to negotiate? Because it sounds like for both of those, the 100 and the 138 units, you didn't have much out-of-pocket costs at closing. And it's really just taking over the management and the cash flow. So paying the receiving the income, but also paying the expenses and, and the mortgage. How does that conversation go with the seller and with the bank where you're not putting money into the deal? Right. So it usually does not go well. <laughs> you know, it's usually, it usually doesn't work. You know, it, it has to be a win-win. I mean, it's cliche, but it has to be a win-win. It, it has to work for, the, for all the parties. And, and usually it doesn't. And so usually we can't, can't come to terms. And, and that's okay because, you know, it's not, we can't have every deal. But it's got to be a negotiation. It's got to be a collaboration, you know, not even a, a, a negotiation. It's how can we collaborate, get this deal done? What do you want? Your terms, our price, our price, your terms. So, you know, is a, is a little mantra we use. So if they wanted a higher price, then we say, well, here are our terms. We need all this financing. We need this, that, and the other. He said, if, you, if you're acceptable to our price, then we'll agree kind of to your terms. And, and our price might be significantly lower. Um, if it were a cash deal, and then we might go finance it somewhere else because we had equity in the deal and could appraise it. So, again, the negotiation is collegial. It's 
you know, working together to find what is a creative solution that, that gets everybody what they want. And again, you can't have it every time, but man, when it works, it's awesome. Douglas, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Two things. Number one, Warren Buffett, the two rules of, of investing. Has anybody ever presented those to you? Rule number one. Oh yeah, don't lose money. And then rule number two, follow rule number one, something like that. Yeah, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. Yeah, so, right. so that, that one's good. So then the best advice I had is this should versus must. It's it's from Tony Robbins, who you who mentioned earlier. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I should get up earlier and exercise. I should, you know, eat better. I should, um, you know, do X, Y, and Z first. I must. I must get up and exercise because that's who I am. I must do X, Y, or Z because, again, because that's who I am. It's, a, it's the habits you create that make, you know, the lifestyle that make the person you are. So, you know, I kind of told you briefly about that, that I've got those two criteria initially when we were building our portfolio. I've got to be able to, I must have equity in the deal from an appraisal standpoint and I'm, or what I could sell it for. And I must be able to finance this because I didn't, I've had many great things in life, but I didn't start out with a million dollars in my bank account. So I couldn't, I didn't have cash to put in. So I must finance this thing 100% of my cost. Again, not 100% of the, of the value, but 100% of the cost. Another must, which we kind of talked about initially, or we kind of wanted, wanted to tee this up with the growing is I must grow my businesses. I can't sit still, still status quo for me, is, is not a core value. So I've set goals. i got to figure it out. i got to be working on the next thing. And it's a must. So it plays in every day to real estate investing when you set those have-tos. You know, what do you have to do? What do you have to have? You know, I wouldn't say it, it's so much as a moral compass, although that's important to know where you, where you stand on certain issues. But for real estate investing, you've got to define your parameters. You've got to know what's a must and what's nice to have. And, and stand by it. So, Douglas, you ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read. Can I answer in three parts? Okay. First, and man, when I, I, I love the Bible. My dad gave me a, a one-year Bible, which breaks the, the scriptures up into 365 days. Read it every day, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade in college. It made a huge impact on me personally and spiritually, but also professionally and financially. Second, man, I love business autobiographies and how-tos. Man, I'm, I'm reading two to five books a month, getting tons out of it. My, you know, my favorites are you know, Sam Walton, Made in America, Anything About or by Buffett. Seven Habits, Highly Effective People, all the obvious real estate books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Kiyosaki, who you mentioned, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, anything by Gary Keller, my friend Jay Papasan. So, but if I had to pick one book, I'd pick two. The first one I'd recommend is The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. Benjamin Graham is Warren Buffett's mentor. He worked for him and studied under him at Columbia University. And this is one that it's a practically applies to real estate investors. Chapter eight and chapter 20. Chapter eight's about market fluctuations. And as a real estate investor, man, you got to buy when the time is right. That's where Buffett gets that whole be fearful when others are greedy and be greedy when others are fearful. You have to learn that as a real estate investor. In chapter 20, and that is about a margin of safety. 
and that's about creating that margin in your deal so that if something goes wrong, you make an error in judgment or that the market changes, that you've still got a cushion. And to, to me, that's a must. Margin of safety is a must, which is kind of what I was telling you before. Um, the second book, which I'd highly recommend, is it's a PDF by Ray Dalio. It's called Principles. And Ray Dalio owns the largest hedge fund in the world. He's based in Connecticut. Specifically, part two of that book, it's about creating a machine. It's called Your Two Use and Your Machine. And it just talks about how, as a real estate investor, Joe, you know this, the best ever listeners know this, this isn't a hobby, this is a business, and you got to run it like a business, and you're creating a machine, and you can be part of the system, but you've also got to be up above the system, managing that whole system and that whole business. And th those two books, Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham and, and, and the, the Principles of Ray Dalio, have had a huge impact, not to mention all the other books I'm reading. Best ever personal growth experience, and what you learn from it? I told you growing and giving are important. Now, we talked a lot about growing. It wasn't until we really started managing houses, buying rental properties, managing for others, uh, having clients we represent, and then building a business, a property management business, a real estate brokerage, a maintenance company, that I realized, kind of to your motto, the secret of living is giving. And growing a business and helping people, helping others, making other people's lives better has stretched me more than anything I've done because, you know, since I was little, I've been able to grow because that's about me growing, me doing, me doing, me, me, me. And it wasn't until I kind of got the flip side of that, which is about serving others, helping others, um, creating value, adding value. And that's changed my life for credit. You know, a, a lot of people, my partner, my wife, my partner, my business partner and my wife are both kind of helping me with that. But it's, it, it, it's great. So that, that's, that's, been the biggest growth experience I've had, growing those businesses, serving others. Best ever way you like to give back? Best ever way to give back is related to that. By building a successful business, we're helping employees with job. We're creating jobs. We are in our business. We, we're a real tangible asset business, folks. So we're fixing houses. We're providing high quality housing. We're paying taxes, we're making sure our owners pay taxes, so we're adding to the community that way. And then we go out, and so in addition to just making a top-notch company that's doing great things for the community, we're going back just, just Saturday, just last week, we went out to one of the, the communities. It's a lower-income community in our area that is underserved. We manage 100-plus houses in that neighborhood. There was a community day. We're going out, cleaning up yards, trash, working with the residents in the community to make it a better place. So we're, we're taking our business we're trying to use our business to engage with others in a service capacity. Again, I'm not discrediting these companies that kind of the one for one where you, hey, you buy a shirt, we'll give somebody who needs a shirt a shirt or glasses or shoes or whatever. That's awesome. I think those things should keep going. But we want to build a business that's engaging with other people so that we're helping them as we're working, if that makes sense, as opposed to, and I know this is stereotypical, but a Wall Street bank that's just out there for, for making money for Wall Street and just for their, their, their guys and their bonuses and their shareholders as opposed to really making a difference in people's lives and in the community's lives. So that's how we really focus on giving back. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? Two biggest regrets I have is number one, I'm sure the uh, best ever listeners, you're, you're, you're one of the exceptions, Joe, and I admire you for that, man. It, I wish I'd started earlier. I wish I was, man, I wish I would started when I was 18. How old are you? I'm 42. So seven, eight, 10 years ago. Although 
some would say I've, I've, I've been at it for longer, but I wish I'd started sooner. Wish I had used <laughs> I wish I'd used Fannie Mae Investor Loans. They got a great product, and I wish I had started with that. The biggest mistake, though, those are two regrets. You have to mistake. The biggest mistake is just being penny wise and pound foolish. One, so for example, we had a, we bought a firehouse. I, don't ever buy a firehouse. Done. Okay. Done. Don't buy a firehouse. We, <laughs> what happened there? You know, we bought a firehouse for cheap. It was in our wheelhouse as far as our neighborhood that we we like a sweet spot. But we, we were pennywise and pound foolish. Got a great deal. Used unlicensed contractors. Again, that was being pennywise pound foolish. So don't do that. We've got. What were you gonna uh, do with it? We were fixing up to rent it to a fire department. Oh man, I'm sorry. When I said a firehouse, I'm talking about a house that has had a fire. Oh, so it was destroyed okay. by fire, and um, you know it's more it. extensive than we thought, and it just it took more money. Again, we weren't doing things like we should have been doing. We were being penny wise, kind of foolish, and ended up costing us you know three or four times what the house you know what we bought it for, and, and double what what we thought it was worth, and it's just a disaster. What's the best ever place for the best ever listeners to reach you? Best ever place. Reach me on Bigger Pockets. If you're familiar with Bigger Pockets, you can reach me on our website, which is crestcore.com. But it's connecting with me directly, send me an email at douglas at crestcore.com. It's D O U G L A S at crestcore.com, C R E S T C O R E.com. I'd love to hear from any of the best ever listeners. Anything we can do to help, I can do to help. Like I said, growing and giving, you know, that's why we're here. So, We've had tons of mentors along the way, and just you know, anybody want, we partner with others. I mean, we feel like that's that's kind of how we've gotten to where we are by, by collaborating with people, win-win. So awesome, love to do it. Well, yeah, it's clear that the collaboration and the win-win scenario is a theme throughout our conversation and your career, where you know, with the the hundred units. You know, the 100 yep. unit property where the banks, you know, had this uh, property where the previous owner or the current owner at the time was over leveraged. And as you said, the three deadly sins of real estate overpay, over leverage, mismanage. They were over leveraged. You had a reputation with the bank already through your previous experience. And they came to you and like, hey, we've got this loan on 100 units. million is what's on it right now. It's worth probably, you know, between three and four at that time. The property's cash flow slightly sounds like, but the, the real thing is that you were able to hold serve and use the money from the cash flow or at minimum just pay down the principal on the mortgages, have it on a 15 year note. And then at the end of the 15 years, lo and behold, look what you got. You, got, you have a 100-unit property that are units that probably took years to collect, but you're able to get it in one fell swoop through this relationship. And again, it's a, looking at the win-win scenario. Uh, and as you said, your goal is to own the properties free and clear. You got them on the 15-year mortgage, and you're tracking towards that. And then also... On your other example, 138 unit uh, units. I'm used to talking apartment building, right. so I, I need to say units. 138 units. So mostly single family homes Correct. where the local bank funded two thirds of the purchase and the seller took back a note for the other third. I mean, both of these are, are just major league examples of deals that are out there as long as we have 
the right mentality, the right credibility and relationships with people and, and the, the people in our community. And it's clear kind of, you know, just listening to you and we've had a conversation before. You're very outgoing, very talkative and just want to just learn more and, and just keep the conversation going. And, and that type of, I think it's important to pay attention to characteristics and traits of individuals like yourself and just pick up on the little nuances that they have. It's, it's, you know, the deals are deals and they're very tactical, but it's really how did you get to that point to be in a position to get that deal? And I, I think that's whenever we've got to hone in on who these individuals are like yourself and what type of soft skills do they bring to the table? I think there's a couple that I just mentioned that are important to note, as well as, and this is completely, you know, the foundation from what it sounds like is the should versus must. You got very serious when you said, I must grow my business. I mean, you're, you're very friendly. Right, guy, right, yeah, yeah. There is a, I sense the, the intensity whenever you mention that. And you talked about core values. One challenge I have to the best ever listeners is, you know, write down what are your core values? What are your shoulds versus your musts? And just list that out. It's, and I'm going to do that same exercising. I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan, so I'm familiar with the should versus must comparison. But I haven't done the should versus must comparison. And, and maybe you don't even need to do the comparison. Just write down your must. What must you have? What must you accomplish? What must you contribute and that, that's a really important aspect of it. So thank you for, for giving all these wonderful resources. I have the book, The Intelligent Investor. It's a humongous book and it's, it was very difficult for me to get through. In fact, I did not. However, I'm going to go back to chapters eight and 10 in that big old book. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through those two chapters in particular and see if that can help with some momentum to finish the whole thing. But at, at, le- at the minimum, I'm going to read chapters eight through 10. Hey, yeah, just real quick, yeah. Yeah, two things. One, yes, it's a little bit outdated. Chapter 8 and Chapter 20. Just 8 and 20. Just those oh, two. right, right. Yeah, I, got it. Yeah, I, awesome. I, I have in my notes Chapter 20, Perfect. but for some reason I said 10. Okay. Yeah, Chapter yeah. 8 and Chapter 20. Awesome. Man, Joe, it has been great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Douglas. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, man. Thanks to you and all the best ever listeners. Have a great day. I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, a, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. Familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, So go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever 
and get some money for your flipping projects. Okay, here's a no-brainer. Since you're a real estate entrepreneur, you know that selecting a health insurance plan is a real pain and dealing with the whole process is a pain. That's why I've partnered up with Stride Health, and they make the whole process really easy, and they have a personal concierge service for you to help you out. They've got a fancy algorithm that helps find the right health plan just for you, and on average, they can save you 400 bucks a year, and it only takes 10 minutes. Go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever. That's S-T-R-I-D-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com forward slash best ever. 